0: You enjoying the hot weather? Who, who enjoys this hot weather? Put your hand up. Who's not enjoying it this hot weather? Put your hand up. Oh, a couple, a couple. <laughs> oh, it's all right, it's, it's good. Well, it's good to see you again. And I bring a big hello from our senior minister, Colin Dye, and his wife, Amanda. Uh, they are currently ministering in Indonesia, they've been there, uh, Colin's Sword of the Spirit series, his teaching spirit, uh, series, the regulars of you know, is on an El Malakut, that means, that's Arabic for the Kingdom Channel, all across Saudi Arabia, North Africa, we, we don't go on uh, local Christian TV at the moment, um, it'd be great if we could, but we decided to put our resources into the unreached areas of the world, it's free to air, everybody can get it. Well, that satellite is now covering the whole of Indonesia as well. So Colin's over there ministering. Yeah, it's good news. It is, And um, he was preaching in Bali today. And he was telling me earlier this morning that he was preaching in Bali at a church that has five services like ourselves. But it's not the main church. It's one of the satellite churches. So there's quite a move of God going on in Bali. So we praise God for that. And uh, he's going to be returning to KT sometime um, this this week. We are sort of like part two of the book of James because uh, last month was our missions month and just want to encourage and thank you all on behalf of Colin and Amanda and everybody here for your participation in that missions month. I mean every month is meant to be missions month but it was good to have a time of concentrated teaching and that's what we had the last uh, months, five o'clock teaching services. were on missions from uh, the Acts of the Apostles right to the present day and the Unfinished Task. And uh, also, thank you to all of you that gave to our missions appeal and got involved in doing different missions events. We had cell groups doing sponsored this and sponsored that, car boots sales. You probably saw in the uh, car park that we were having food fairs and and many of the people that provided the food for those food fairs, um, the West Indians and the uh, Filipinos and the Indians, they brought the food, but they, they didn't ask for money for that. They denoted, donated the food and all these things that have been taking place. And we had a goal of £50,000. That's what we wanted to raise this autumn. And we've raised 44000 so far. So isn't that exciting? And there's still other things to come in because we really want to take our missions to the next level and especially the church planting that we're going to be partnering in in Romania and Algeria as well as the other areas that were highlighted in our special missions prayer diary which you can still get from reception if you're interested. But before that, we were going through the book of James and uh, that's where we're going to return for August. August will see us through that book. And just to sort of like... Recap. Remember, all of our series that we do here at Kensington Temple are all on our website, kt.org. You go to the media page, you scroll down to series, and then you find the title of the series you want, and that gives it to you all in a row. So if you're new or you missed some of the series on James in um, in June, then just go on KT website, go to Uh, media, go down to series, press on the book of James, and you'll see one, two, three. It'll all be there. And uh, we finished, the last place that we we finished was looking at taming the tongue in James chapter 3. And we're going to look at two kinds of wisdom today from James chapter 3 in verse 13 following. Just while you're finding that, remember that the theme of the book of James is how to persevere through trials, right from the beginning. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you face various trials. Why? Because of the benefit of trials that causes us to be stronger in our Christian faith. As we go through trials and come out of trials, we have a testimony. We see the greatness of God working in our lives. If we never had any trials, we'd never see the greatness of God. How can we be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus if we never conquer anything? We looked at such uh, issues as the most important thing that comes when a trial comes, the most important thing is to have wisdom, the knowledge of what to do and what not to do and what to say and what not to say uh, during the trial. Many Christians, we said, are very immature and really could do with reading the book of James because when a trial hits them, they, they, they go to pieces. Or they blame God. And and one of the temptations, James says, when you face a trial is to blame God and say, why did you do this to me Uh, when God is good all the time? And so we looked at these issues. We also saw the importance of uh, chapter 1, verse 19. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That has some bearing on some of the things we're looking at Today we looked at faith and works and putting our faith to work and the taming of the tongue. So I'm going to read, I know that the passage is from um, James chapter 3 verse 13, but I'm going to read from verse 11 just so that we link with where we'd been when we stopped this series for the break. James 3.11, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape vine bear figs, neither can salt spring produce fresh water? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. As I've already said, James is speaking to us primarily in the book of James about how to deal with the trials of life. And often during the trials of life, the tests and temptations that come into our lives is how we treat people around us. Uh, Something goes wrong at work or, or some situation uh, comes into your life, and there's going to be people involved, other people than yourself. Very rarely do you have a trial that just involves you and the devil, or, or you and some scenario that doesn't have other people. And so when you're in trials and facing trials, a lot of the time, what God is looking for is how you deal with the people that are part of the difficulties. And that's why he said we need to be swift to hear slow to speak and slow to wrath. Unfortunately, with uh, many Christians, they they are slow to hear and quick to speak and quick to wrath. We need to know how to communicate. But we also need to know how to deal with people, especially when we're in a situation where conflict is on the agenda. It looks like we're going to end up in conflict with people or people want to be in conflict with us. After this passage, we'll see in chapter 4, verse 1, James says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And so James is here talking about a wisdom. Now, this wisdom that James is speaking about isn't some sort of academic or philosophical wisdom. This is practical wisdom to deal with practical situations in your life. And so having spoken about the power of the tongue and saying, you know, the tongue is, is a great evil. If you can bridle your tongue, then you can bridle your life. I mean, that's an incredible statement that James has said. Uh, if you think and meditate on that, as we did earlier, the idea that if you can tame your tongue, then to a very large degree, uh, you'll be in control of your life. Just like bridling a horse, if you have the bridle on a horse, then you can turn the horse whichever way you want. It's just a small bit in the mouth, but it does the job. Just like the picture of the ship with a rudder. A little rudder, but it can turn a great ship this direction or that. So is the tongue. Your life, where you are now and where you will go in the future, is directed by your tongue. You say, no, it's directed by my thinking or my ability. In the end you will only go where your tongue takes you. And that's what James is speaking about. And so this is a follow-on from this. This is treating people and how to deal with situations. So he says, who is wise and understanding among you? This is his question. And so our response to this question is, well, do you think you are wise? He's asking us, would you say, oh, yes, I think I'm quite a wise Christian. I think I act wisely in the situations that I find myself in. Well, what is a wise Christian and what is a Christian with understanding? James is going to explain that so that we can look in the mirror of God's word. Do you remember one of the images that James had earlier in his letter was that the word of God is like a mirror and when we look into the mirror and that's what we're doing at five o'clock services, we're going to see a reflection. The Holy Spirit and, and the word is going to speak to us, show us things. But we don't want just to be hearers of the word, we want to be doers of the word. Or else we're like somebody that looks in a mirror, sees what's wrong, and goes away and doesn't correct it. So who is wise and who is understanding among you? Well, who is a wise person and who has understanding? And he says this, well, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So James, again, is telling us, show me. A lot of the time throughout the book of James, he's sort of like saying, look, I don't want to hear anymore. I want to see. Shut up and show me. That phrase that's um, there behind me, shut up and show me, you might think that's a bit rude. But actually what happened was I was on an encounter weekend with some of the men, and I was speaking on the book of James, And on faith that works and faith that demonstrates. And during the ministry time, we had somebody who was um, a rap artist. And and, and during the preaching, I had said, I was trying to get a point across and I was struggling. And I said, look, basically, James is saying, just shut up and show me. Tired of your words, tired tired of your opinions, shut up and show me. And then after that, the guy got up and started rapping, shut up and show me, with the things. And, it was, and it's always sort of stuck in my mind. But that, that's exactly what he's saying. And, and quite frankly, again, all right, maybe it's a little bit rude. But, you know, really, to, to many Christians and churches today, and I'm not excluding at present company, you know, really, st- so much talk. So much opinion. So much this, so much that. I mean, you go on Facebook... And, you know, Christians posting this opinion, that opinion, but, you know, wouldn't it be better if they just demonstrated and did it? Just shut up and show me. That's what James says. He said, you you say you have faith, I will show you my faith by my works. And so with this wisdom, he's saying, you say that you're wise, or perhaps you don't, but if you're a wise, show me. Show me your wisdom. I'm not interested in your opinion. I want to see wisdom at work in your life, especially during the testing times with the testing people. And so this wisdom comes from deeds done in humility. So this is an active way of living that we're about to look at, it's not theoretical. It's practical Christian living. It's talking about our character. And it's very helpful because he's going to show us the type of characteristics that we should foster, allow to grow in our lives, and put into practice. And the first thing he says is, good works in humility. In humility. What is humility? Humility is not having an inflated opinion of yourself, thinking you're something that you're not. It reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Romans 12, 3, where Paul says, I say through the grace given to me, to every person that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according to God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So there Paul is saying, look, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. And we tend to often have two different types of Christians. We have those that, that think too little of themselves. They have lower self-esteem. They're, they're always thinking, I can't do this. I'm, I'm a failure. I'm, and they need ministry and encouragement to know who they are in Christ and that, that with Christ they They can be more than a conqueror. That's on the one side. But then on the other extreme, we have people that have an inflated opinion of their own spirituality or their own position in the church. And the problem with an inflated opinion of yourself, as Paul says, don't think more highly of yourself than you should, is that most of the people that think too highly of themselves... They're in deception. They don't realize. They actually believe that they are as spiritual as they think. And there's a blindness there. And so when we're talking about walking in wisdom, one of the first things we need to do is we need to be sober about our lives. We need to take stock from God's word, from close friends and others, to find out, are we really humble? In other words, are we ready to take stock of who we are and be honest with ourselves, to look into the mirror of God's Word and not try and make something in God's Word, not try and, you know, read into it, but let God's Word read us. There's a lot of reading of God's Word, but does God read you? In order for God's Word to read your life, you have to be very open to the Word to read you. Because if you go to the scriptures with a preconceived idea of who you are and what God says, you will get very little from it. You really, whenever you take the word of God, you have to come to it open and prayerful and say, Holy Spirit, I mean, I I hope you have a daily devotional. Uh, I have a daily devotional. Uh, I use the Every Day with Jesus Bible. I really recommend it to you if you struggle with devotionals. It has it day one, day two, day three, and it goes right through the Bible in a year. And when I read that on a daily basis, I don't read it every day. Sometimes I forget, but I have a daily devotional. I say that because some people start daily Bible reading plans, and they miss three or four days, and they get, you know, I remember when I first did Bible reading plans, I think I read Genesis and Exodus more times, but by the time I got to Leviticus, I began to wilt, or I'd miss a week, or something like that, and then I'd see, I'd have like 50 chapters to catch up on, and I'd be speed reading it, then I'd be thinking, what's the point of this? And then I would like falter, and then I would stop my Bible reading. So what I encourage people to do is have a Bible reading plan, because it's not about being legalistic, do you know what I'm saying? It's about having regular daily Bible reading. If you miss your daily Bible reading, you're not going to hell. If you miss it for two or three days, you're not going to hell. But don't give up. And if you can catch up, fine. But if you don't, fine. Just go to the day where you are. It's so important. Daily Bible reading is so important because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when I go to the Word of God every morning when I read it, Occasionally, I forget or something comes up, but I have a regular Bible reading plan that I stick to. I go to it with openness. You know, I don't go to it and say, I've got a degree from Durham University in theology. I don't go to it and say, I've sat under uh, Colin Dye, uh, R.T. Kendall and and others, and so I I bring a lot of uh, experience. I don't come and say, I'm a preacher. I just come and I just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. please help me with any prejudices that I bring to it so that as much as possible the Bible can be fresh to me and can be a clear mirror I haven't misted it you know sometimes I have to open the window in the morning when I shave because after I've had a shower I get out and then my next thing I'm going to do is have a shave and then I go to have a shave and all the mirrors are all misted and I'm trying to sort of shave but I can't really see so I wipe off some of the mist but then it mists again and sometimes I have to open the window and let it clear before I can see clearly, or I end up going to work with, you know, part of a moustache sort of still there. And so we don't want anything to miss God's word to our lives, because we want to grow, we want to change. How awful when Christians are not humble, when, they're, when, when they, they've already set in their ways. They, they get into a state of arrested development. They don't grow, they don't mature. And so, this humility is important. We saw that Romans 12, 3. um, Later on in verse 16 of Romans 12, he says, be not wise in your own conceit. That's another danger when we talk about wisdom. Know-it-alls. People that think they know it all. People that assume that their understanding of how to deal with events is exactly the same as God's. And true wisdom... Is not boastful. True wisdom never draws attention to itself. True spirituality is never self conscious. Do you hear what I'm saying? Someone walking around thinking they've got the answers to everything. True wisdom is not boastful. You know, Moses didn't know uh, that his face was glowing, other people saw it. On the day of Pentecost, you couldn't see the own, your own, the own flame on your head. You could only see the flames on others. And so it should be with wisdom. It should never be mixed with conceit. And so the question is, well, how can I be sure that I have wisdom from God or I'm being led from God? Tomorrow night, I'm doing the second in a series on people of promise where I'm speaking on the fact that the major problem with Christians today is that they are living according to a moral code instead of living according to the promises of God in their lives. Abraham is our model for the Christian life, amongst others, but he's the Old Testament model that Paul uses. He is in Romans chapter 4, the father of faith for all that believe, and we walk in his steps. And Abraham's knowledge of God His growth in spirituality, maturity, was all down to a journey of believing God's promise. He had the promise, faith in the promise, and the spirit at work on the promise. And this is what matured Abraham to become a, a great believer. And so the question is, is are you living according not just to the promises of scripture, but the promises that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you? Because if you're not living according to the promise of God and God's rhema word in your life, you're not maturing as a Christian. You're just a moral religious person. You may be saved, but you're just going on being moral. Everything that God wants to do in your life comes by promise. His promise from the word, but also his promise to you. And I'll be going over that tonight and getting out my book on promise and speaking about how you know when you can hear God's promise to you. But the question is, how do we get ourselves in a place where we know that God is speaking to us, that God is speaking into our hearts a rhema word, or God is leading us, or God is giving us wisdom about a situation? We're in prayer and we feel, is God leading me to do this or not to do that, to say this or not to say that? Here I am in a trial. I'm praying for God's leading and God's wisdom how do I know this is from God? How do I know God is speaking to me, that it's not just myself, or that I've missed God? Well, here is some help from us. Who is wise and understanding? Well, let's say, let let me tell you who is not wise and understanding, according to James. The one that is prideful, not open for correction. And also, verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy, And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. So, straight away, I can tell you that if you are harboring bitterness or envy or selfish ambition in your hearts, then whatever you think you're hearing from God or whatever wisdom you think you've got, you've not got it. It's not God's wisdom, it says it clearly. That uh, that these principles of bitterness, envy, and self-ambition will block the wisdom of God. Now, that's very helpful for us to know that jealousy, bitterness, and pride has a blinding effect. We can't see things as God sees them. Jealousy, bitterness... And pride also stop us from hearing what God is saying. And you say, oh, well, what happens when I feel jealous? Or what happens when I I feel bitterness in my heart? Or or what do I do? Well, there's going to be times when you you feel those emotions. And often when we're in a situation, and obviously this was happening to the churches that James is writing to, because we see there's fights and quarrels in chapter 4... What's happening? With, what is the source of these fights and these quarrels? Well, really, it's jealousy and bitterness. And in a situation, if we feel, well, let's take jealousy for the first, first, um, the first situation. If we, if we look at jealousy and uh, jealousy is really wanting to have what other people's have. It's wanting to be superior. It's wanting to have what they don't don't have. It's wanting to put yourself in place. So when you look at somebody and you want their position or you're jealous of what they have or are jealous of a friendship or anything like that, and and you want that, and sometimes that, that causes people to, to take a course of events to remove that person or to deal with that person or or they're jealous for what they've got they believe it's rightfully theirs or that that promotion was meant to be mine or this was meant. I should have that I should be that I should have that favor Uh, think about Joseph's brothers they were all jealous of Joseph because of the favor on his life don't be jealous of people's favor where God gives favor you bless it Because it's God that gives favor to people. And so where you're jealous of favor, then what that means is if you see the favor of God, let's use that as a phrase, if you see God blessing someone, or the favor of God on somebody or something, and then you find jealousy in your life, then you've got to be careful that you don't begin to act out of that jealousy. It, It can happen at many different levels. What if, say, the church down the street... God suddenly favored with a great move of his blessing. And the church down the street from us began to multiply and multiply and multiply. And they were on television, not just Christian TV, but the BBC and everybody spoke well of them. And the ministry team went up and down the country. And, uh, and there, would, there, would, there would be probably be in some of our leaders' hearts, and I include myself, a little bit of like, well, why didn't we get that? Why, isn't, why, why didn't God bless Kenji? And then what can happen out of that jealousy is we want that. We should have had that. Why didn't God give us that? And then what can come out of our mouth? We can begin to say, well, do you know, it's not that good over there. It's all a bit inflated. I've, I've heard the minister of this church preach, and he doesn't preach the doctrine like we do here. At What's happening? You've got envy and jealousy, And now what's happening is you are working earthly wisdom. Take not just jealousy, but also, um, uh, sorry, jealousy and envy, but also bitterness. 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 If you've got jealousy, but if you've got bitterness in your life regarding a situation, God, you can be bitter against God. How could you let this happen to me? You can be bitter uh, uh, to other people and sometimes people can do things that cause you to be angry you feel so angry about what they did to you how they treated to you uh, treated you from their rudeness or, or their power playing at, at work or their arrogance and and you get this bitterness in your spirit and you want to deal with the situation but if you're not careful, you will deal with it out of bitterness. And that can happen in many ways. Sometimes it can turn into just outright angry confrontation and conflict with the person, which was, going to, which was happening in chapter 4. But sometimes bitterness can work in very subtle ways. You see, if you're talking to somebody about somebody else that has caused you to be bitter, and you're not aware of it, you will just let little things drop into that conversation. There could be very subtle, very little, that portray that person in not such a good light. You'll just let it, you'll just let it drop. You'll just let a sentence drop. You'll just say something. You'll just, you'll just take a... Because there's bitterness there, it'll just come out. And that, of course, can work in people's, people's minds. In office politics, anybody ever been involved in office politics? You see this at work, don't you? jealousy someone got a rise someone got a promotion someone someone's someone's the boss's pet someone that, you've got this jealousy working in relationships and that jealousy trying to take from take away from that person that has it or if you can't take it then somehow speak ill about them bring bring them down or there's a bitterness that's going on people in the workplace carrying bitterness and it's getting into their relationships and and, and, and the, we need to recognize these things in our lives when, when they surface, and they will surface. You, there will be times when you feel annoyed, bitter, when there's someone you just don't like, and you don't like the way they've treated you. It's going to happen. There will be jealousy. There, w- there will be that sense of, oh, I don't want that person to have what I I really want to have. Or, or if you're in a position of authority uh, in the workplace, or even... Um, In the church place, somebody underneath you being blessed more than you, and you begin to feel threatened. That's the same thing, bitterness and envy. You feel threatened, and then you begin to operate in ways to remove the threat by the bitterness coming out, by dropping little things, by by speaking against the person, however brashly or subtly. And so when we're in these situations where Uh, We have these people problems. You're going to have these emotions come. And you know, the emotions can come, but the big thing is, do not operate out of those emotions. The bitterness, the jealousy, um, don't operate out of that. What you have to do is you have to take those things to God. Because wisdom from God is not from the earth, is it? If there was no God and no heaven, then you just got to get the wisdom that's there. But wisdom from God is from heaven. And so that means when we deal with situations, we have to take our bitterness or our, 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 how, we, how we feel we've been treated. We've got to take that to God. And we've got to work this out before the throne of God. And we've got to say, Lord, let your will be done in this place. Lord, give me the strength to do it your way not to hit back and fight back. Now, that doesn't mean that you ignore the situation. I'll come to that. You never ignore a situation, but it's what you do or don't do. It's what you say or don't say in that situation that is either wisdom that is earthly, sensual, selfish, uh, envious, prideful or bitter, or it's words and actions that come from heaven. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. You see, it comes out of the mouth. So you begin to speak ill of people. You begin to speak about the person you're envious or the person that's, that's hurt you or the person that's slighted you or, or the offense that's in your heart. And then what happens is the offense begins to dictate your actions. The uh, envy begins to dictate your actions. The bitterness begins to dictate your actions. You know what I'm talking about? Not just in our lives, but you can see it in people. And their actions, their reactions, their speech, the things they do and the things they don't do. In their court in this situation, they're angry, they're bitter, they're, they're, they feel slighted, and their whole. Actions and words in a certain situation... ...are motivated by these emotions... ...and these emotions, if acted upon... ...are earthly, sensual wisdom, flesh from below. I'm not saying you won't have those feelings. The only way to deal with such feelings... ...when you're really annoyed with somebody... ...the only way to, de- the only way to deal with it is to take it to God. And to keep taking it with God until you have a breakthrough. I remember many years ago, there was a very difficult situation that I was facing, and uh, it revolved around a particular individual. And in my mind, I thought, God, get rid of him. Get rid of him. Because this guy is a bad guy, and it's not going to go well, and I need you to remove that. So what was happening? Well, I'll add bitterness against this person. Now, whether, whether or not the person was right or wrong, you see, if bitter, if bitter envying is ever in your heart, then you are wrong whatever you do, even if in the overall things you're right. Do you hear what I'm saying? So even if you've got a general co- correct concept of what's going on, if you've got bitterness in your heart or envying in your heart, you're wrong anyway. You hear what I'm saying? So, and, and so I was saying, so whether I was right or wrong, I believe I was right, generally speaking. I was right in my, in my, in, in my view, but I was totally wrong in my wisdom. And so I've, there was many times when there was temptations to utilize whatever powers and authorities and, and relationships I had. There were opportunities to actually help that person on their way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, that is not the wisdom. I didn't do that, but I I found it very difficult. And so what did I do? When this person, when I was so concerned about the destructive capabilities of this person, I couldn't sleep at night. That I couldn't pray. That it was buzzing around in my mind. That whenever I saw this person, I'd already made up my decision. So so everything I saw just reinforced what I saw. Because I was looking for it. And even things that if somebody else said or did, I wouldn't even think. Because they said it, I took it personally. Do you see what I mean? And even though, generally speaking, in the end, I, ha- I had seen something there, the wisdom with how to deal with it was the problem. Because I, I wasn't going to be fair. I, I-, I, was-, I was bitter. I was-, I was concerned. And although I was right, may have not been, but I was, in the end, although I was right, I was wrong. And what's the point of being right when you're wrong? You know what i mean? saying? What's the point of having an accurate impression of something that's going on if you're dealing with it like the devil would deal with it? Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, soulish, or sensual, demonic. This is a picture of manipulating tactics where you are using the manipulations of the world to get your way without reference to God. You're not thinking of the person, whether they're right, wrong, good, bad, nasty. you You are manipulating them with the ways of the world, and it has got nothing to do with heaven. You see, when you're in these situations, your motivation is everything. It's not just what you do, it's the motivation by which you do it. And God looks at the motivation, in that particular situation, actually, God gave me a word. This is why we need to hear. God gave me a word. And in that word, God spoke to me. And and, and at the time I think, is this you, God, or is this not you? This is the problem. If you're bitter, then you know, Lord, remove him. You bet I remove him. Thank you, Lord. Just glad we're on the same page as usual. But I believe God spoke to me. And it was like, God's. Not a warning, but but saying, it's, don't you deal with this issue. In other words, don't you do anything to move this person on. You know what I'm saying? I will do it, and I'll do it in my own time. And said a few things. Now, was that God or not? Well, the one thing it did is it stopped me from moving out into earthly wisdom. And also, because it seemed to be peaceable, right, I thought, okay, well, well, there you are. God's in control. And so, whenever I was in a situation where I could operate in earthly, sensual, or out of my bitterness, or out of my anger, there was a choice. Do I believe God and trust God, or do I say the word? Do I stick the knife in? though I gently say a few words that will emphasize that. And so that was wisdom from heaven, because that wisdom was peaceable and kind. And we come to this. uh, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every practice. Envy and self-ambition, where we motivate, speak out of these things. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. And and this is what I'm trying to communicate today. Pure, that means blameless. Free from vendetta or revenge. Pure means neutral. uncolored by things that are around you. Not partial. So in other words, we get to this place where, yeah, I've got envy or I'm ambitious or I'm angry or I'm bitter or I'm hurt. But I'm not going to operate out of those things. And speak out and act out of those. I'm going to take those things to God and ask him to help me with them. And I'm going to put my trust in prayer and the Lord. And I'm going to ask the Lord to help me detach myself from these emotions so that when I act, I act in a pure way. I act in a blameless way, free from vendetta, neutral, not partial, peace. So the first of all, it's pure. Then... Peace loving, I mean, the, chapter four, verse one. They're fighting and they're quarrelling. Is what you're doing? Is it going to? Is it just pouring more oil onto the flame, are you, are you just pouring petrol onto the fire? Are you stirring up in the other person? Now, as I said, the wisdom from God is not about just simply not dealing with the situation. Don't think that because I had a word from God saying back off that God always says, back off. That was a word for me at that time. Sometimes God will give you wisdom in how to, and sometimes you had to do it. And you you need this in the workplace if you're a manager. I remember once, a long time ago, you always have to say that in case somebody thinks it was last week, and starts trying to figure out what staff member it was, but many many, 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 many years ago, I had to deal with a staff member who was driving me mad. Again, and I was, I'd had enough. And I was going and to, and I was so annoyed. I was so annoyed with them. And everything in me, I wanted to sit them down. And just in the name of Jesus, sort them out pastorally. And I had all that, so what, what was that? There was anger, there was, there was bitterness there and all these things, and, and I had all these judgments in my heart about, you know, and I'd, you know they're that, they're this, that, the other, and, and some may be true, but a lot of it was, was, was my perspective and colored by how I felt. So was I going to deal with this staff member by my own feelings and just assume that my judgments in all measure with emotion were correct? I had a right to feel angry? No, what I had to do is i take it to God, and I had to take out the heat and the passion And I had to detach myself and get to a place of blamelessness, of neutrality, of peace loving, where I could say, look, what are the facts? You know, so often when Christians argue, the facts go out of the window. He said, she said, I believe, well, this, that, and the other. Well, what are the facts? And I had to come back down, not the facts colored by my emotions and reactions, but the plain facts, uh, God once spoke to me a word. It's actually a very, a very very good book. It's the title of a very good book um, on, on leadership. Um, not a Christian book, but it's still a good book. And God spoke to me through this title. Bang, he hit me. And, and he said this to me. Lions don't need to roar. Lions don't need to roar. In other words, you don't have to shout, you don't have to get angry in order to properly use God's authority. Okay, so if you're a boss here today or a manager, lions don't need to roar. Sometimes we roar because we feel we're losing control, we feel it's going wrong, we don't know, we got the emotions and, and, you know, I'm the boss, so I'll roar. Lions don't need to roar. So what I did is I, I, I waited, I didn't immediately deal with the staff member because I was too emotional, I had to take my emotions to God. It took me a while to settle those things down and see it in the perspective of the kingdom of heaven. It wasn't the be-all and end-all of planet universe at that time. Calm down by taking it to God in prayer. And then what I did is I thought, well, what are the actual facts and what needs to be addressed, and how can I help the person grow in these areas and just deal with the facts, not all the impressions? And then I brought the person in, sat them down, but what they couldn't see is I'd placed behind them the book with the title "Lions Don't Need to Roar," just in case, just in case they started getting me annoyed, you know, getting over defensive, or get, and then I'd just lose it. So I put "Lions Don't Need to Roar." So I sat down and calmly dealt with the issues, and by the end of it, the response was good, the relationship grew, and things went on. Now, that could have gone very differently, believe me, you. And so, peace-loving, considerate. I was out for a peaceful. I needed to deal with the issues. I wasn't going to walk away from the issues. Listen to me. God's wisdom is to deal with the issues, not to say, oh, well, I won't deal with it. And some Christians are always in there fighting and bashing and asserting their authority. Other Christians do the opposite, and I better bring to a close, I can pick this up next time. Other Christians just say they just shut off from it. Some of them just leave the church. There's been times, Katie's a busy church, there's been times where, you know, somebody, I haven't seen someone for ages in the congregation, but then, you know, the busyness, and then it's sort of like three, four months, they suddenly appear, I haven't seen you for ages, where you been? Oh, I've been at HDB. Oh, what are you going to HDB for? Oh, the Lord led me there. Okay, who did you fall out with? Was it your cell leader? Was it your cell leader? You know what I'm saying? What, what happened there? Well, what the person did is say, instead of like, you know, they, they weren't going out there with bitter envy and manipulating and fighting, but they were doing something just as bad. They were withdrawing. They were just shutting them. They just walked away from it. But they'd walked away from it, but it hadn't been resolved. You see, the wisdom is peaceable. It's looking to resolve things. I mean, it takes two to resolve something, but you can be the one that, that gives the opportunity to do that. It's peace-loving, full of mercy. <laughs> Not justice, but mercy. Now, we want to deal justly and fairly with people, don't we? But actually, more than that, we need to, we need to deal with them with mercy. Because so many times what happens is you get people who are saying, I want justice, I want justice. I want this person punished. I want this person dealt with. I want, this, I want you to apologize. You know, people, people sit now, I want an apology. Grow up. Grow up. <laughs> you want an apology? I wonder how many apologies God wants from you. I, wa- I demand an apology. You're dealing with somebody with your understanding of justice. I want them to own that they're wrong. I want them to apologize that they're wrong. I want justice. Well, with the measure you judge, so you'll use show, sell. So you be judged. What we want is mercy, mercy to treat people as they are to be, as they don't deserve. To treat people as they don't deserve. Bitterness treats them as you think they deserve, but mercy as they don't deserve. And one thing I've learned is that if you are open and merciful with others, God will be open and merciful with you. But I've seen over the years where people stand on their rights, want justice and begin to do that. God says, all right, that's, that, that's your standard of dealing with others. I'll deal with you in the same in your daily life. Not a good place to be. And then finally, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You see, whatever you sow, we reap. We know that's a principle in Scripture. Scripture. Because if you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh. And this sensual, earthly uh, uh, um, wisdom is simply the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. It's the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. That's what he's talking about. Whereas this wisdom is like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, long-temperedness, all these types of things. And so God wants us to deal with the issues... We don't, we're not running away and denying them... ...or we're not getting in there... ...kicking and fighting and screaming. What we're doing is we're going for wisdom from above. And, and we're going in the spirit of God... ...and the spirit of peace. And what you sow, you will reap a harvest. In other words, when we begin to move... ...in this type of wisdom... ...these things, and, and look at the things... ...that we've addressed today... ...sooner or later, it's going to come back to you. You see, you, you can deal with a situation by such principles and the Spirit of God. And even if it's not resolved, you have peace because you know that you did it right before the Father. Remember, your life and the way that you live it is all about what the Father thinks, not what other people think. I'll close on this. and I've gone five minutes over, but I don't normally. I remember I had a meeting. You think, Bruce, you've got lots of angry meetings and falling out with people. No, no, no. I'm just picking these up for you. You always seem to be... But I did, I had a, had a meeting with somebody and it could have gone, and I was like really concerned about it because it, it could have gone very, very, very badly and it was just, you know, it was very volatile and sensitive and either of us could have gone, it could have, just could have been bad. And so I got really worried about this meeting, so I began to pray about it and uh, the, the Lord just said, well... Just imagine that your father in heaven is sitting at the table too. And don't say anything that you wouldn't say in his presence. And that really helped me. And it was a great... I just sat there, and, and as we spoke, it, was, it wasn't as bad as I feared. It never is as bad as you fear, is it? But just knowing that I'm, my reaction is not to the person, but to the father. I'm not thinking how to react to him. I'm thinking how to react to him. These are some of the principles, and we'll come back to this next week. God bless you.